He had it all. At least on the surface, he had a good business, a fine family, status in the community. He had everything, it would appear, but not quite enough. Some men craved after gold or silver or jewels, not this man. Those things were also cold and inanimate, forged and molded inside an unfeeling earth. Instead, he sought after pearls. Those beautiful gems which began their existence as a simple irritant. A piece of grit or sand buried deep in the mantle of an oyster. And then the miracle. Slowly, ever so slowly, the oyster began to secrete necra, the very substance that made up its shell. One layer was added to the grit, and then another and another, until finally a lowly piece of sand became one of the world's most beautiful gems. Pearls are almost a gift from God. I mean, almost. You still have to pay for them. And then one day he found it, the most incredible pearl he ever laid eyes on. Everything was perfect. The size, the shape, the color, everything. He had to have it. It had to be his. And so he sold everything he had so he could purchase this one exquisite pearl. Was he happy? We don't know. The story is told in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 to 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. You know, the fact that Jesus used a pearl as an illustration for the kingdom of God might be lost on us in 2018, but it was an illustration would have struck home uh, with those 2,000 years ago in Palestine. We are in week last of our Stories Told by Jesus series. This summer, we followed Jesus across his home as he told stories of wheat and weeds and, and gems and fields and brothers and sheep. And we've ended where we started in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. In our first message, way back in July, we talked about a man who accidentally discovered a treasure. The very next parable talks about a man who is very deliberate in his quest for a treasure. There was no doubt what this man was looking for. Jesus said he was on the lookout for not just pearls, but choice pearls. 2,000 years ago, pearls were valued for their monetary value, but also more than that, for their ascetic value. Pearls were sought after for their beauty, and because of that, many people who bought and collected pearls did so just to have them to hold and to have, something to be seen, not sold. And the beauty and worth of pearls is completely subjective. If you were buying a diamond, then there are all kinds of ways that you can grade a diamond. But pearls don't have that. Pearls are completely subjective in how they're graded and how they're seen as beautiful or not beautiful, completely in the eyes of the beholder. And so for a few moments this morning, I want to look at the merchant who was so intent on having a pearl like no other pearl that he had ever seen that he was willing to, to liquidate everything he had just to buy that pearl. And so the first thing we discover is that he was dissatisfied with what was. Oftentimes we think of dissatisfaction as a negative. We see someone who grumbles about everything they have, about everything that happens to them, and we think that person is dissatisfied with life. But think about it. Every discovery, every advancement, every achievement that humanity has made has been because someone was dissatisfied with the status quo. Because Thomas Edison was dissatisfied with reading by candlelight. We have electric lights. Because Alexander got tired of Mrs. Bell yelling, Alexander, it's time to come home. We have telephones. Because Wesley was dissatisfied with the Anglican church's attitude toward the poor and preaching outside the building, we have the Wesleyan church. If it weren't for dissatisfaction, we'd still be living under trees, 
dressing in fig leaves and eating cold food. Think about it. It had to have been dissatisfaction that led to cooking food. What? Sushi again? Let's warm that sucker up and see how it tastes, right? Was it that Roger Bannister was dissatisfied with just being another runner that led him to break the four-minute mile? Could it be that Wayne Gretzky was dissatisfied with just being another hockey player that led him to break every record and earn every title except goalie of the year? The hero of our story was not just a shopkeeper. The Greek word would indicate that he was a wholesaler, a trader on a large scale. It was probably dissatisfaction that took him from selling fruit door to door to owning his own stall to trading in goods from all over the world. And now he was seeking the perfect pearl. Perhaps he was seeking the largest pearl he had ever seen. The record for that now stands at 34 kilograms. It is a pearl called the... Uh, Porto Princia pearl. It was found in the Philippines. And actually, the guy who found it had it under his bed for 10 years because he didn't know what he had. <laughs> the thing uh, weighs 34 kilograms. It's 67 centimeters long for old people. That's a little over two feet. And 30 centimeters or one foot wide. Or maybe he was looking for, for a pearl that was simply beautiful, simply perfect. We don't know how he defined the perfect pearl. But we do know that he was dissatisfied with whatever other pearls he had. Every one of us needs to push on in our lives. It's not enough to merely exist. If we're going to please God, we need to continue to grow and stretch in our personal walk with him and in our spiritual life and in general. You say, but, but preacher, remember Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have learned or with whatever I have. And that's true. But it was also Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy and Hebrews 12 who called our Christian walk a race, right? It wasn't simply a stroll in the park. It wasn't simply, you know, uh, canoeing down a gently flowing river. He said it was a race. And if you're going to race well, you race to win. I've mentioned this before. Years ago, probably in the 2004 Winter Games, remember a Canadian athlete being interviewed for the uh, winter game saying, eh, I don't expect to place in top three, but if I get like 11th or 12th, I'd be happy. I was thinking, there goes my tax dollars right there, right? <laughs> no, not content to be 11th or 12th, but wanting to be at the top of the pack. Throughout the New Testament, we're exhorted to grow in our Christian faith, to not be content with the milk of the word, but to strive for the meat of the word. You know, we seek to become better at our work. We seek to become better in our hobby and our play. We need to want to become better in our spiritual life as well. But it's not just a personal thing. Our church needs to be discontented with where they are at any given time. It's not enough to be able to look, look around and say, look, look, we've grown from 30 to almost 300. Look at our band. Look at the worship team. Look at the building. I think, no, no, let me rephrase that. I, I know that we need to understand the validity of Amos chapter 6, verse 1, when the prophet said, woe to you who are complacent in Zion. To a certain degree, we need to be dissatisfied with Cornerstone, dissatisfied with the number of people who come to know Jesus as a result of our ministry, dissatisfied with the number of lives we touch, dissatisfied with what we're doing for God today in Hammond Plains and Halifax and around the world. We need to seek to do more. It's partly, and we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we've invited the Maximizing Impact team from our district to come in the end of October, and it's a team that comes down and they... They tour the entire building, go through it, and they interview the staff and interview the leadership team. Then on the Friday night, the last Friday night in October, there's an open house. Everybody in the congregation, staff won't be here. 
You get to talk about what you like about the church, what you'd like to change about the church. You know? we, we often talk with those teams, it's not the outliers that get heard. Like, I mean, if you're saying, I think the pastor should preach in a kilt, if that's the only one, I probably won't be preaching in a kilt the next week, right? And then they come back for Sunday morning, see how we do things. And, and what it is, it allows us eventually to see Cornerstone through fresh eyes to say, how can we move on? Have we become complacent in what we're doing? Because when we get complacent in ministry, we don't just stop growing, we stop impacting our community for Christ. When we look around and say, this is all we need, then we'll never need any more. And so the second thing is he dreamed of what could be. Not only was a merchant dissatisfied with what he had, he dreamed of what he could have. It's been said that if we never build castles in the air, that we'll never build anything on the ground. I mean, Edison had to dream of electric lights before he could invent electric lights. In fact, Edison had a, a goal to invent one major invention every six months and one minor one every 10 days. When Edison died, he held 1,092 U.S. patents and over 2,000 foreign patents. Alexander Graham Bell had to dream of the telephone before he could invent the telephone. Gretzky had to dream of the goal that would break Gordie Howe's record before he actually shot the puck and scored the goal. And you know that somewhere out there, there's a kid right now dreaming of beating Gretzky's record. How many times had Bannister broken the four-minute mile in his dreams before he actually did it? How many nights did that merchant sit pouring over his collection of pearls, dreaming of the one perfect pearl that would be worth as much as all of his treasures combined? Could he see that pearl? Could he almost reach out and touch it? Now, don't, dream, or don't confuse dreaming of what could be with dwelling on what could have been. Maybe you could have been a contender. But spending your life playing the would have, could have, should have game is neither healthy nor productive. Do we dream of what Cornerstone can be? Do we dream of how God can use us to impact our world? How big are your dreams for our church? Cornerstone will become what our dreams allow it to become. God gave Moses a dream of the promised land. God gave David a dream of a temple. God gave Paul a dream of reaching the Gentiles. What dream has God given you? Some people say, well, preacher, we pay you to dream. And I agree, that's one of the most important parts of my jobs. I love that. I'd like to have that in my job description. Paid to dream and preach. That's it. That's it. Just close my door and put it. Do not disturb <laughs> dreaming. I do that. I see where we can be, what we can be. But you have to dream as well. You need to catch the vision of tomorrow, not just the memories of yesterday. It was Thomas Jefferson who said, I like the dreams of the future better than the history of the past. And I've said it before, the past makes a great classroom, but it's a rotten living room. And as you think of where you can go, as you think of what you can do, as we dream together the impact that Cornerstone can make, I challenge you with the last words of D.L. Moody to his sons when he said, if God be your partner, then plan big. And the third thing is he was dedicated to his dream. The merchant wasn't content to simply dream about the pearls. He went looking for the pearls. The Greek word means to seek with desire. It wasn't that he was simply glancing around, but diligently seeking to find something. It was his life, his world. Just as the athlete lives for the race or the game, this man lived to find pearls. He, he worked for a living, but work wasn't his life. It was simply made it possible to follow his dreams to find his pearls. Every one of us needs to find that dream. If we're Christians, then it better be God's dream or it'll be a dead-end dream. And once we have that dream, we need to pursue it with every bit of energy that we can muster. If we're going to see our dreams fulfilled, 
then they need to become a priority in our life. And if we're serious about our dreams uh, becoming a reality, then we need to be determined. We need to set that as a goal, as a focus. If Cornerstone is going to be the church that God wants it to be, then it will need to be a priority in our lives. And I understand that Cornerstone will not and should not be the number one priority in everyone's life. That needs to be God. The number two priority in our lives really needs to be our family, but somewhere, somewhere in that list of priorities, your local church needs to be. It may seem hard for you to grasp, but remember that God anointed the local church as his vehicle of change in this world. For 2,000 years, it has been the local church that has seen change happen. He expects his people to support his church in their dreams. We need to be committed to the dream of seeing Cornerstone be as much as God would have it to be. And I believe God has great things in store for this church and these people, bigger things than most of us could conceive. Edison worked for 13 months on the filament for his electric light, had over 14,000 failures behind him before he was successful. How many times do we try before we quit? Do we have the dedication necessary to do great things for God? And he was determined to make his dream a reality. Not only was, it, was the merchant dedicated to the dream, but he was willing to do whatever had to be done to see the dream fulfilled. It said that he, that he earnestly sought out, looking for that perfect pearl. It was a physical choice. It was a mental choice that he did. And when he found it, he wasn't content to simply say, well, look, I found the pearl. It said that he sold everything he had, a financial sacrifice. Nothing worth anything comes for nothing. You hear that? Nothing worth anything comes for nothing. Everything in your life worth anything at all will cost you something. Your marriage, your children, your job, your dreams, your church, your faith, each one of those things will require a sacrifice on your behalf. Some of those things cost money, a financial sacrifice. Others require a sacrifice of time and commitment. But just as a merchant was willing to give his all, we need to determine just what we're going to give our all for. Jesus tells us that there are things worth dying for. The kingdom of God. Our salvation. Doing his will. The story is told of Frederick Charrington, who was part of the Charrington Brewery family in the 1800s. He was born in 1850, and when he was 19 years old, he had this life-changing encounter with God. Told that a couple of years after that, he was in London one day, and he was on a street outside of a public house, a pub. And uh, as he was standing there, he saw a man who was about to go into the pub. And this woman and children came up, and it was apparently the man's family. And she grabbed him, you know, begging him not to go in, that she needed food for the family or money for food. And Charrington said at that point, the man turned and knocked her to the ground. And he rushed over to help her up, and he looked up, and he saw his family's name on the pub. And it was at that point that Charrington decided that if what he had was real, he walked away from the fortune, a million pounds in 1870, and established a charity to help people who were struggling with alcohol. Because he was committed to it. At that point, he was willing to give up everything for the pearl that he had found. Charrington later said that the that with that one blow, the man didn't just knock out his wife, but knock Charrington clean out of business. <laughs> what do we give to God? Roger Bannister was up every morning running when his friends were sleeping. He put hours and days and weeks and months of work into his goal of breaking the four-minute mile. I've often said, there's probably a player out there better than Gretzky who didn't want to put the work into it, who wasn't committed to it. 
We see men and women literally surrender the pleasures of this life to excel at sports or business or the arts. What would happen to the cause of Christ if we were willing to do that for the kingdom of God? Where would we be spiritually if reading our Bibles became a priority? If belonging to a life group became a priority? If making Sunday morning worship became a priority? I've heard some of the guys from the early Tuesday morning group comment on how valuable that group's been to them. It's not easy being here at 6 a.m. As Cornerstone moves ahead, it will require more sacrifice on each of our behalves. If this church is going to be what God wants it to be, it will cost something. It will cost status quo. You may like the church the way it is, but as we grow, it changes. I was uh, chairman of the ratepayers in Kingswood for years, and people would often say, I don't like what's happened to Kingswood. What they meant was, I liked how it was when I moved in. And that's when development should have stopped. And oftentimes in church, people say, I liked what it was like when I started to come. But I don't necessarily like what it's become as other people have continued to come. So sometimes we have to surrender the status quo. Sometimes it's our pride. I've discovered through 37 years of ministry that some people don't like growing churches especially if the church they're growing it or they're attending isn't growing. They'll say things like Cornerstone, they compromise the message, or they're only concerned about numbers, or they're only providing entertainment. It will cost our pride as during the change and growth, we sometimes take paths that we don't agree with or don't like. And those times arise. They arise with me within, within staff, and we go, let's go in this different direction. I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes you put your pride in the back burner. Uh, and it will cost money. This month, we're upgrading our children's sign-in procedure. Sorry for the hiccups this morning. It will smooth out. But we did that as a, as a better way of protecting our kids. That costs money and time, frustration at times. We can reconfigured some of our rooms to better teach your children. When we help send our teens to rallies, that costs money. As we continue to develop our partnership with the work in Sierra Leone, that's going to cost money and time and effort. As the church continues to grow, eventually we'll outgrow the building. And the time will come to expand and build again. And guess what? That'll cost money. I love the cartoon of the man coming out of church and telling the preacher, he said, I'm so glad you said you didn't know where the money was going to come from because I thought you wanted to get it from us. (laughs) (laughs) But guess what? (laughs) God provides for his work through the giving of his people. And often he provides for us so we can provide for the needs of his church. What Cornerstone can do is only limited by our dreams and our determination and our dedication to that dream. And so I struggled with the last point, trying to be a good preacher and stay with, you know, the D's and stay with the alliteration. I thought I had it figured out, and in the end, that he was delighted. But if he was delighted, he was only delighted for a short while, and then he would have been looking around again for a pearl that was even nicer than the one that he just bought. That's our humanity. And in each area of our life, satisfaction leads to complacency that will ultimately lead to stagnation. But in our spiritual lives, we need to walk closer and closer to God. There is no such thing as arriving until we arrive in heaven. Remember 1 John 1, 7, John wrote, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It doesn't say if we stand in the light, or if we sit in the light, or if we lay down in the light. It says as we walk in the light. Why? Because the light continues to move. 
That as we grow in our Christian walk, God shows us the light he wants us to walk in. And we walk along in it, and, and that light keeps growing and expanding with us. But if we stop, the light doesn't necessarily stop either. Because God expects us to move, expects us to grow. So what is the answer? Well, the man was delighted, but he never lost his dream of the perfect pearl. At Cornerstone, we continue to seek God's will. If we continue to do what God wants us to do, and we continue to do it the very best of our ability, we'll continue to reach people, continue to have an impact. We've said it before, we'll never bow down to the idol of church growth. We'll never chase our tails trying this program and that program. But we'll seek to present the gospel in a positive way. We'll seek to provide the the very best worship environment that we're capable of that will love one another with the love of Christ. And if we do that, then we'll grow. When our goals are met, then we need to dream some more and set more goals. And those dreams and those goals need to come from God. What is that perfect pearl that God has set before us? It's his kingdom. The kingdom of God is like that. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your dreams. Thank you for what you set before us. And Lord, that we're committed not to, not to the process, but we're committed to the kingdom, Lord, and what it does for you. So we give each of these people, Father, their dreams, their aspirations to you today. In Jesus' name.